0: So other than building your microphone shrine, what did you do today? I went with Lindsay to help her pick out Jeff for, um, I taught her how to loom it on New Year's Eve, which was fun because she was drunk. That was funny. I enjoyed those <laughs> text messages and stuff. And so, because she doesn't have internet yet in her, house, in her apartment because she's saving money. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, yeah, we went and picked out stuff. She picked out yarn. I picked up more quilting stuff. Did you go to Hobby Lobby? Cause I love that place. Fuck no, I hate Hobby Lobby. What? Mm-mm. We're in a fight right now. I do. I disagree. I am much more a Joanne's or Pack-a-Tan's kind of girl. <sighs> I don't know what Pack-a-Tan's is, but Joanne's can go bite the big one. Oh, okay. See, I can handle Michaels. Michaels is like the middle ground, but like Joanne's is like the sad knockoff version of Michaels. Don't even no. that. If you sew more, you want to go to Joann's. If we you, both know I don't, so I crochet sometimes. Not even. I drove to the church. Which church? The the church where the murder barn was today. Oh, the real the real creep fest. First of all, it's a mega church. I will post a picture. I will post the picture I sent to Ashley because you need to know I did not stop there. Fuck no. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I drove past it and I just felt like sense of dread. Because it's a mega church, like you look at it, it's a mega church. Yeah, which is funny because Kirtland is not that. It's big enough for two Mormon centers. So that's because there's like the Latter Day Saints and there's regular Mormons. They don't talk and they fight over land. It's fine. The LDS is the Mormon church, isn't it? It's the fundamentalist LDS with like the sister wives and stuff. I don't know. I try to keep out of it. (laughs) The only time I dealt with them, they were very nice. Uh, I don't know which ranch the ones that were really strict and couldn't have caffeine which includes chocolate yeah that's mm-mm. Mm-mm. um deal breaker yeah so what i wouldn't tell you before was i realized why that barn looked really familiar it's because 30 seconds up the road is the lake um county farm park where people go with their families to learn about like farm animals you freaking kid no i saw it and it was like it's like a family fun center type thing no it's like a full running farm um but okay well in ohio that's a fun center let's not lie to ourselves yeah um sorry i'm moving around I got field trips and stuff up the road from it yeah like schools go um like a lot of families go they have a lot of big events my my mom's work had like a giant like 75th like company anniversary party there and someone we knew got spit on by a llama so dayton (laughs) has one of those too and it was up the street from where i used to live it's called carriage hill yeah, and then the other creepy thing was I drove back from Columbus last night, and Mansfield Prison, like, there's a big sign. there. It's now a tourist attraction. With ghost hunts? With ghost hunts. I'm gonna do one. <laughs> you gotta. There's, like, five prison, like, active prisons between Cleveland and Columbus, and I'm driving, like, it's dark out. First of all, I'm listening to Ghost podcast, which was a horrible idea. It's kind of a bad life choice. a well, so it was Black Eyed Kids. Oh, and even worse. It was real bad. Why would you? Why do you hate yourself, Courtney? I think that's what we need to get into on this episode. Um, we're not gonna discuss it on this episode. We'll figure <laughs> out later. But as I'm sitting there and I'm just like driving and I'm like, shit. I'm like, I drove this a lot and basically. The chances of me seeing a hitchhiker—that's or- what I was gonna bring up. Like yeah. when when I'm, we moved, when I moved, we were driving through like upstate New York, and there's like on the turnpike that we took. I I really don't remember which prison it is, but there's like a prison that has a sign that's like it butts up to the highway, and it says, "Don't pick up hitchhikers, thanks" or something like that. Love. I don't know. That's not what it says. But it has like the name of the prison and then the correctional facility, <laughs> and then it just has like a dude sticking his thumb out at a thing that has like the circle with a line through it. <laughs> Reason number two hundred and seventy-six to not pitch, pick up hitchhikers. Yep, yeah, it's a bad choice. Still do it. So if you're still listening and you haven't. Tuned off yet? And welcome all our new listeners. Uh, this is the Cult of Domesticity podcast where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans from about 700 miles apart. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. And what are we talking about this week, Ashley? So it's a good thing you brought up the ghost hunts and paranormal stuff because we're gonna talk about something that's real dark but also has paranormal stuff attached to it and it is it was actually they referenced it on an episode of supernatural and you bet your sweet ass that I lost my shit when I when I realized which one they were talking about because I was like I know that one (laughs) so I want to like it's not true crime okay because it wasn't like it wasn't a crime but it's similar in that like I got into it because of anxiety of like so when I worked for campus ministry and I had legit the coolest boss ever who would like let me watch videos at work like she didn't care she was cool with it as long as I got other stuff done and like we would she'd be like what are you watching and I'd tell her like oh I'm watching air disasters like the plane crash show and she'd be like okay so like it's sort of one of those things where knowing what has happened and how people survived it and like what good changes came out of it helps for me at least my anxiety about flying. So like what I forgot to tell you cuz you were talking about surviving. Um my brother saved to school this week. Wait, really? What? Uh so how my- did I not know that. I don't really know the details, but my brother works for a company that does like, I think HVAC, he's a construction manage- manager, basically travels around and manages construction sites. And he walked into a school and smelled gas and made them evacuate oh the school. So basically my brother saved to school. That's awesome. And I only heard this, he didn't tell me because he was on the phone with my dad. And I just hear, oh, he goes, your brother uh, had a school evacuated. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> So lists That's of things you wanna hear. <laughs> List of things only my brother could have done. Uh gone to a party at Taylor Swift's house, evacuated, <laughs> school, partied with Ryan Lochte, swam with Michael Phelps. Yeah. I forgot about the Ryan Lochte thing. Yeah. That's funny. I had the greatest boss ever who let yeah. me watch videos at work. And she she was actually kind of the reason I realized why I, I enjoyed them because it was a calming thing of the anxiety. Like, I've flown a lot yeah. just back and forth, like, to visit parents over the summer because my parents are divorced and live far apart. Um, And it was, like, a custody thing. So I think it's natural to have fear on flights, but, like, mine was sort of over and above for someone who flies as much as I had. It's, like, the, I feel like plane crash explanation shows are, like, the redheaded stepchild of true crime, if that makes sense. It's, like, natural disasters. Like, it's kind of true crime because it's horrible. Yeah, like, you can't look away and, like, it somehow makes you feel a little bit better even though a bunch of people died. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's something you, if you approach it the right way, you can learn from it. So, we're going to talk about the crash of Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Yay! Yay! Uh, Not yay, but yay. So, the hardest part about this crash is that it was completely preventable. Yeah. You fucking kidding me. No. Like, the only thing that wasn't working on that plane was a $12 light bulb, but it was an important light bulb. That's a pretty fucking expensive light bulb. It better be important. Okay, but for an airplane, not really. Think about how much those engines cost. Like, relatively speaking, a small landing gear indicator light. 12 bucks It's kind of reasonable. That's true. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Anyway, so <clears throat> December 29th, 1972, um, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 leaves JFK, 9.20 p.m., carrying 176 souls. So 163 passengers and 13 crew members heading for Miami. Um, Everything is normal. Everything's fine the whole way there. Um, they begin their descent to Miami. I would say judging by time of impact, probably 1115. I don't, I don't know. But so they begin their descent to Miami, everything is normal. Um, so part of the descent process, obviously, is putting down the landing gear. Um, when they do that. Captain Bob Loft, first officer, John Stockstill, flight engineer, Don Rebo, who I feel an unnatural affinity with for some reason. I don't know. I can't explain it, but I kind of love that guy. Um, And uh, he was like an off-duty maintenance engineer who was flying to Miami like Mm -hmm. for free, but he was an employee of the airline. So like, and he knew he worked with that plane. So they had him in the cockpit as well. Um, His name was Angelo Donadeo. They noticed that the landing gear indicator light for the nose gear wasn't coming on. So like an airplane has, this is kind of fairly obvious, um, like the two big landing gear in the middle. And then there's a wheel on the front, the nose gear that's the last thing to touch down if you're landing correctly. So, like, you come in at a slight nose up because otherwise you're going to hit the ground with your nose first. So, like... You want to do that so that way you get enough resistance so you don't bang into the ground. Yeah. Um, And so you don't drag your nose along the ground and tear up your plane every time. Um, And if you... Let's let's not make flying more expensive. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just build a new plane for every time. They're disposable. It's fine. Um, So... They notice that the indicator lights, they have like three lights on their panel that show when the landing gear is down and locked and okay to land on, and the nose gear light isn't coming on. So they're like, fuck, what do we do? Um, Because if that nose gear light's not on and the gear's not down and locked and they try to land, they're going to drag their nose along and like the plane's going to catch on fire, basically. Like severe damage. They're probably going to die. It's a whole thing. Please let me drink this whiskey right now because that's what I need go ahead. I just, the heart, like apart from the insignificance of the one piece that they didn't have that was working correctly, like the irony of the fact that they were so focused on that light because they wanted to have a safe landing that they missed everything else going on around them. Like, oh oh my God, it's awful. So they think, well, maybe... Maybe it's just, it's down, but it's not. The sensor's not working. So they raise the landing gear. They lower it a couple times. Still nothing. So they radio the tower and they're like, hey, can we get a holding pattern? Um, we're having trouble with our landing gear, which by some coincidence, the plane next, like in front of them to land was also having trouble with their landing gear. National Airlines Flight 607, they were having trouble too. They had to declare an emergency. They had an emergency landing. They landed without incident, like fire trucks deployed but not used. But so like the tower's like, Yep, do you um <laughs> not not in those words, but like they say Deal they, with your shit. They're like, Yep, take whatever time you need. Like they knew based on how many passengers and how heavy the plane was. It was designated um EAL 401 heavy because they weighed like the plane itself weighed more than I want to say thirty thousand tons, but I could be making that up. They weighed more than a shit ton. They weighed a lot, um, which for a fully loaded jumbo jet, that's not unusual. Um, most of them, yeah, it's not even like it's more with regard to how much fuel they have, but because they know the flight path they took, they know how many people are like the towers. Like, yeah, you have enough fuel. And you have a fuel gauge, so even if you don't, like, just let us know. We'll try to get you on the ground as safely as possible. But they tell them, pretty much, go ahead, uh, climb to 2,000 feet, um, maintain that altitude until you're ready to try the approach again. They're like, cool, let's go. So they climb, they set the autopilot. Um, Up until that point, the co-pilot had been flying, or the first pilot, I'm sorry, the... First officer, which in common parlance is um, co-pilot, had been flying up to that point, which is not unusual either. Like so, the bird strike, Sully, mm-hmm. the co-pilot was flying the takeoff, and yeah. Sully took over when they hit the birds. But so it's it's fairly standard. Um, yeah, but, you want so, the pilot there in case they. He's go more up. right. He's more like supervising. If shit gets bad, he's going to take control. So he tries to like reach the light. So they could pull it out and look at the bulb and see maybe the bulb was burnt out, but he can't get to it. So he says, set the autopilot and you, John, you pull out the light and let's have a look. So he gets it out and they think, well, let's, they can't like, it's got a housing. So it's like a bulb in a plastic thing, like a little green piece of plastic over the top that shows green when they look down. So they can just be like, oh, all green, good to go. cool." So like, think like your car headlights, like you can't get directly to it. Yes, exactly. So he's like, well, let's try like the IT approach of turn it off and back on again. So they pull it out. They're trying to put it back in. They can't get it back in. And so they're like, you know, that's what what she she said. (laughs) I had to pull a Michael Scott. I love it. Okay. So, so they try to take the bulb out. They try to put it back in. No go. So the captain is like, you know what, like we can do this manually. So he turns and he looks at the first, so the way the cockpit is set up, let's, let me get to that first. Um, okay, wait, ready? Everyone put on your imagination caps. Imagination. Yep, ready. Imagination. Imagination. The SpongeBob tree and everything. So you have obviously the two dudes at the windshield. That's pilot on the left, first officer on the right, behind the first officer is, well, it used to be, not anymore, um, but back in the day, so, like, up till probably, I want to say early 90s, maybe, mm-hmm. there was what's called a flight engineer, which was the third dude who would hang out, and he had, like, a workstation behind, like, facing the wall behind the uh, first officer's chair, and then sometimes there would be, like, seats for crew members behind the pilot in the cockpit as well. And that's where, uh, Angelo Donadeo was sitting. So, I think of, um, catch me if you can, Leonardo DiCaprio, like the jump seat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. It was a jump seat pretty much. Um, so the captain turns in his chair, looks at, um, Don Repo who's the flight engineer whom I love. Don't know why. um, <laughs> Probably because the actor who played him in the show, like, reminds me of two, like, two separate uncles. But anyway. Um, so he looks at him and he says, will you just go down in the hellhole and get a visual on this so that we know if it's locked, if it's locked. So they were flying. Um, it's like the hell hole was unique to the TriStar L-1011, which is what they were flying at the time. It was one of the very first jumbo jets. Okay. And it's like in the belly of the plane, there's like a little hatch that opens in the cockpit that you can go down a ladder and you can see there's like a visual for the nose gear. So Don's like, yep, I got it. I can see why that's called a hell hole. Yeah, because um, it's probably real loud and it's not probably insulated and not dark, fun at all i would assume yeah not great and also it's below deck so you know hell. um so <laughs> also it's probably freezing right that's what i mean not insulated probably not great so um he goes down and he's like i can't see anything like so he goes back up and he's like i can't see it and the captain's like it's not locked he goes no like i can't i don't know there's it's all black and I love the actor who plays Angelo Donadello in the, um, or I'm sorry, in the show because he's like, are the gear lights on? And the captain's just like, oh, and like reaches up and turns on the light that shines on the landing gear. It's just, it's this great moment of like, unintentional comedy because they use the show uses like transcripts from the flight recorder to do their scripts for, like, the crew. So, like, the last words on the show usually are either exactly what the crew said or the English translation of what the crew said because they do international ones, too. How much do the writers drink? I mean, probably just a lot. The show is interesting because it's called Air Disasters, Air Crash Investigation, May Day, and... Oh, what's the other one? There's another one. I'm forgetting it, but so the UK, Canada, the United States, and Australia, oh, Why Planes Crash, all the same show, literally, same narration, same segments, same video, but four different titles in four different countries, <laughs> so, like, really? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, so, like, if you, like, I would watch them at, school, at work on YouTube, because, um, you're a pirate, Um, but, like, so, like, if I saw Mayday, Air Crash Investigation, Air Disaster, Why Plants Crash, like, they're, like, they some, they don't have necessarily the same episode title. So, like, that kind of threw me off, but I could tell by, like, the description what flight it was, and I'm like, have I seen that already? I don't remember. And then, like, within three seconds of starting, I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. Um, and so the title of this episode that we're recording is Ghost Plane, but there's an episode of the show called Ghost Plane, and it's not the same flight, (laughs) which the one that the show, the episode is about on the show, way creepier. Um, So he's like, the captain turns the landing gear lights on and sends Don back down. And at, like, we know. I'm sorry, you said sends Don back down, and my (laughs) mind went. My mind went. I I know. So he, like... That's the last you see of the actor who plays on Repo. I'm going to be real with you. So we know exactly what time he first sent Don down the hellhole. It was 11.37 and 8 seconds. And we know this because he... Okay, no. I'm going to do that part later. But we know what time he sent Don down. Um, after he sends him back down with the Lena gear lights on, and Angelo goes down with him because he's like, I mean, I might as well go. I know this plane better than anyone anyway. So he goes down with Don... <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> it's okay because now I'm thinking it too so they go down the captain calls the tower and he's like or radios the tower and he's request coordinates in the heading for approach um, at that point they were out over the Everglades so, so if you crash you're fucked because there's alligators and shit to eat you we're getting there No. No. Uh, so the heading that Miami gives them requires an 180 degree turn at which point the captain and first officer noticed that there had been a sharp drop in altitude. They didn't notice before because it had been gradual, but like they think they're still at 2,000 feet. And then they look at the altimeter and it's like, not 9,000. It's like, probably at that point, less than 900 feet. Um, I'm not going to so- lie, I was slightly terrified because of the drop, and I was also slightly terrified because the cat moved onto the curtains. <laughs> And I thought, oh, my God, my heart stopped. You're, like, telling me something horrible. And then the cur- I'm, like, out of the corner of my eye, one of the curtains moves. And I was just like, no, not this shit again. Not again. So they attempt to correct it. Um, They're like, Stock still says, we did something to the altitude. Loft says, what? And Stock still goes, we're still at 2,000 feet, right? Loft says, hey, what's happening here? And then within 10 seconds, the plane had crashed into the swamp. So, like, not even 10 seconds, but... So they had been going gradually, gradually, gradually. They had been. It had been a moonless night. It's dark. They're out over the swamp. No real lights except for Miami off in the distance to guide them by. And they're not paying attention to the lights in the distance. They're focused on that one light bulb. Um, So they notice it. They're like, what? And then they're hitting the swamp. Basically, um, upon impact, a fireball tore through the cabin, severely injuring several of the survivors of the initial impact. Um, the plane had flown over, like these two guys, who are true American heroes. Um, legitimately, they won several awards for this. But so they see the plane go down, and they're like, uh, "What?" They're like, "What was that?" They had been out on an airboat hunting frogs in the Everglades. <laughs> the most random and pure and beautiful thing i think i've ever heard felt like um, why are you hunting frogs i don't know like the wikipedia page literally says bud marquise and his friend uh ray dickinson had been in an airboat out frog frog gigging whatever that means like I know what it is because I saw the show where they were just like picking up frogs in a net (laughs) and all of a sudden this huge like jumbo jet comes over the top of them. They're like, that's really low. That's weird. It shouldn't be out here. And then just off in the distance. Bug Marquis, a real American hero and his buddy Ray Dickinson, also a real American hero. Uh, They're out hunting frogs in the Everglades on an airboat. Cue the Archer reference. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Really? Do you not watch Archer either? Because we're going to be in a double fight. (laughs) I don't know what that is. This is like my favorite show. So when they go out for the pipeline, like the whole time they were showing um, Bud and his buddy, which come to think of it, but not funny. Anyway, like all I could think of was Archer being like, in an air Lana. Okay. So they're out hunting frogs in the Everglades as you do, and they see, like, it's nighttime, and then all of a sudden, like, roaring over their heads, legit, maybe at that point, probably 300 feet high at the most. So, it looks like a giant. It's huge. Um, They see the plane come flying over the top of them, like, roaring over the top of them, really, is what they said, and then just, like, a fireball off in the distance, which when they, when they hit, the fireball tore through the passenger's cabin. So, like, it makes sense that they would see that. Um, so, they race to the sea of the crash to help out however they can. Um, and in True doing so... American heroes there. There's jet fuel everywhere. Like... Um, Probably some gators. Um, there were, but they fled because of the noise and the fuel and everything. They did end up coming fire. back while well, in the fire, yes. So, there was a point where, like... It took the Coast Guard probably about an hour to get to them because no one had seen them go down. The only people who knew that they had gone down were um, another National Airlines flight, not the one ahead of them that was having the tower. I think it was – or that was having the problems, but probably – I don't think it was the same one. But there was a National Airlines flight that radios in, and they're like – So we don't know what it means, but we just saw a big, huge flash off to our left. Thought you might want to know. And air traffic control checks the radar and sees that 401's um, altitude reading is coastal level, which means sea level. And they're like, fuck. They had checked it before, like after the plane ahead of them had landed safely. And the controller noticed that Eastern's altitude was like 900 feet but it wasn't it was a new system so like still really buggy and it had only been installed a couple weeks ago so they were still not quite familiar with it and he was like well it could just be a fluke like give it a couple more passes so he reaches out to them and he's like is everything all right like when he sees that they're at 900 feet and they're like yep everything's fine can we have coordinates come back and he's like all right I guess they worked it out so yeah and at the time, they were only air traffic control on the approach, was only like tasked with maintaining separation. So, making sure they don't like come too close. They weren't in charge of making sure they were maintaining the proper altitude on the approach. So, it wasn't really his job or his he felt his place to say anything he yeah. was like as long as they think everything's okay like surely they're <laughs> monitoring their altitude they would know but they were so focused on that freaking 12 dollar light bulb that they didn't hear the alarm going off to warn them hey you're more than 300 feet lower than what you should be yeah. or it would have gone off if they were higher too but that alarm was going off at it was going off at ron's workstation so he was down in the hell hole Or Don's workstation. Don Reno's workstation. Fuck me. Don Reno. Are you thinking of Ron Swanson? I was. (laughs) That is who I'm imagining as this person? No, like... He almost the actor almost reminded me a little bit of Chris Christie. The alarm for altitude was warning; it was going off. The NTSB could hear it on the flight recorder, like the audio recorder in the black, black box. Which side note, they're not black; they're freaking orange. Um, yeah, cause think about it. You gotta it, find it. Like anyway.
1: Um, so basically,
0: you're telling me it looks like my sister's wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like. Do you know? So they raced to the scene um but because of all of the mud and stuff like a lot of the people who might otherwise have bled out because of their injuries the mud stopped it so like saved them but it also caused gas gangrene in like eight of the people which had to be treated either by hyperbaric uh hyperbaric chamber or amputation and like there weren't that many hyperbaric chambers in miami at the time there were like three so one of the people they had to send like to a navy base, and that story is just super heartbreaking. I am not getting into it. Um, movie, can we please like, talk like, about um, you'd rather get gray- gangrene than die?
1: Though I, mean, I don't. Yeah,
0: but not by a lot. No, so sorry. The ca- preference there, it's not real big. So the captain survives the crash but dies at the scene. Um, Angelo Donadeo, the flight maintenance guy, survives. Uh, First officer Stocksill died like immediately or before anyone could get there. I don't know that they ever actually found his body. Come to think of it, um, and Don Repo, my fave, um, survives the crash, makes it to the hospital, but passes away a couple of days later. Aww. Yeah. So in all, in all 101 people died, there were 75 survivors, including most of the flight attendant crew, um, of whom there were like 10. There were were a lot on that flight. Um, And the scary part, like the scariest part of the episode for me was, it's not even, it's more unsettling and it's smart, but like seeing it in the episode was like, but this was a December 29th flight. And they were afraid that um, survivors might light a light a match or light a lighter to help find like to see by. But there's jet fuel everywhere. They can't do that or everyone's gonna die. So that's flight attendants terrifying. start singing like Christmas carols to keep everyone occupied. And if they can hear it, they say sing along so we can come find you. But like Everglade Swamp, super dark, some of the wreckage is still burning, and then you just hear silent like no Mm-mm. nope I'm out stop it you know what this it's like I think we never give flight attendants enough credit because badasses they are badasses they need to be paid more because absolutely the amount of shit they deal with and the fact yeah. that they're responsible for everyone's lives and if yes. someone dies on a flight they have to deal with that yeah and I watched, I mean, I've watched Sully a Pan couple Am, times. the greatest TV show. <laughs> I love um, it. They had a passenger who died and it was really sad. They left um, him in Cuba. of the whole thing. Um, no, but I watched Sully a lot. And you look at those women. They are trying to keep, they just keep chanting because they know if you yeah. can hear it, you're yes. going to start you chanting really and it, it calms you down. Yes. And, and I, that's part of why they were singing too. You know, keeping people calm is the hardest thing to yes. do when and there's Especially a when you yourself are not calm. Yeah. And like a lot of them were seriously injured and they were still helping to get people up like heads above the water, stable enough to where they're not going to drown waiting for That's, the National Guard. I'm not going to lie. Keeping an adult uh, yeah. with like, while you are injured with their head above the water is the hardest thing, especially if you do not have flotation to, proper flotation devices. Well, So like a lot of them, like I said, were still buckled into their seats because they didn't know that they were going down they didn't have time to brace for impact they didn't have time to warn people like the flight attendants didn't know they didn't make any announcements from the cockpit about what was happening yeah which i mean i get because they were so distracted and then they themselves only realized what was happening within 10 seconds of impact i get that but like they had no warning yeah and then all of a sudden just fire running at you like scary That a lot of the seats, if they're still buckled in, are somewhat intact and have the flotation device cushions underneath them. Mm -hmm. So all they had to do was, like, get them out of the chair for long enough to get the cushion up and they could, like, give them something to hold on to that was a flotation device. But uh, some of them were too badly injured to even hold on to it. Like, one of the survivors that they talked to in the show um, survived, even though, like, he was sitting near a wing. The gas tanks are in the wing and the gas tanks, like, probably ignited not too long after that ball of fire came through the cabin. So he was burned really bad to the point where like skin was falling off of him. Oh, so like he wasn't in dandy shape to hold anything. But yeah, anyway, so they managed to get everyone at least to a hospital by dawn, which is pretty good considering they went down at around midnight. Yeah. Yeah, because the reason that we know that... Captain Loft turned in his seat to talk to Don Repo at eleven thirty seven oh eight PM is because that's when the altitude starts to decline. What had happened was they had the plane on autopilot. It was a very sophisticated autopilot. They when he turned, he inadvertently jostled his flight controls enough to disengage the part of the autopilot that's in control of the altitude, but not the part in control of navigation. Oh my because god. So like the plane knows it's going down, but they miss the alarm because they're focused on what's going on with the nose gear. Um, so it's still on that holding pattern, but it's going lower and lower and lower, gradually enough that they don't notice it in the front. Um, if they'd had a natural horizon to look at instead of the artificial one on their like their control panel, they may have noticed it sooner, but it was the dead of night. Um, so pretty much... The NTSB, the first thing they looked at, which is the National Transportation and Safety Board, they're the people who do the investigations after a flight and make the recommendations to the FAA, which is the Aviation Authority, um, and they're the ones who have the authority to like put out new laws and change training and all that stuff. So the NTSB finds that the first thing they were looking at, I mean, the plane was basically brand freaking new. I mean... It had been in use, but not for very long. Um, long enough for that freaking light bulb to burn out, but not long enough for anything else to be shitted up yet. Um, so <laughs> Eastern Airlines actually ended up, like, cleaning off a lot of the parts of the wreckage that were still intact and usable and, like, using them as replacement parts for other members of the fleet. Which, nope. as long as it's working, it's not outside of industry standards. Like they, Like, they still sometimes will do that. So... I'm sorry. I just know someone who's wor- who's built airplanes. Like yeah, it's not smart. They- well, no, he goes. He doesn't fly. Uh, yeah, that too. My <laughs> grandfather worked on planes in Korea. Not a huge fan of flying. I'm seeing the correlation now, um, and a lot of it is <sighs> smaller airlines with smaller budgets cut corners. And yeah. I mean, Eastern was a pretty large airline. They didn't go under because of this. They were still around for quite some time, at least mostly through the 80s. I don't know when they actually, like, either were bought out or shut down. But um, one of the things they look at is subtle incapacitation. Because the plane is still in such good working order that they can, like, put the parts on other planes, then TSB is like, okay, what the fuck? So the autopsy revealed that Captain Loft had a brain tumor, that was, like, pressing on his this part of his brain that's in control of the vision, but not to a point where he didn't have peripheral vision. Like, he still... Nothing... He had a brain tumor, yes, but not to the point of incapacitating his vision to where he shouldn't have been flying. Like, he probably didn't know about the tumor. He would have real soon, but didn't yet. Yeah. Um, so they ruled that out, which... Um, the next thing they look at is, did the autopilot malfunction? And that's a no, no, it didn't. But that's what leads them to the discovery of autopilot was disengaged at such and such a time, um, and they realize that it could be disengaged by um, hitting the control, like the stick, um, so slightly. Yeah, because another another Eastern pilot. Uh, actually he may have been a first officer. Another Eastern Airlines pilot, the NTSB announces they're going to have public hearings um, on the investigation, and a pilot writes them a letter and says, look, um, there was an incident on a flight that I was in, in the flight crew, and something fell on the floor, and we leaned over to pick it up and accidentally disengaged the autopilot, but only as the only the part that controlled the altitude he said it seems to me highly likely that it's possible that that happened on 401 as well so they look into it and they're like that's the only thing that could explain it yeah so it's marked down to pilot error which they realized that none of the flight crew had been trained to where they knew jostling the controls would disengage the autopilot they didn't know they were never trained on it not on that like accidental flaw and so um there was something else I was gonna say and I remember sorry for the cat butt it's okay I remember thinking I don't need to put it in my notes because I'll remember it no um so it's mark down a pilot error oh I don't know um our buddy bud Mm -hmm. gets um two awards one from the airboat rescue association And one from the Air Disaster Alliance Foundation. And like 35 years after the crash, like a lot of the survivors met up at the scene of the crash and like thanked him personally. Aww. I know. And like he had to be treated for like three weeks for the burns to his legs from the jet fuel that night. And he still kept going, trying to help people. And like he flagged down the helicopter because they sent, National Guard sent out a helicopter because the Miami tower told them, look, we, we lost them. Like we have this report from national airlines flight that says they saw a big flash near where the last reported radar location was for 401. We think they may have gone down, but we don't know where. So he like flagged down the helicopter. It was going to turn around to go away, but he like shined a flashlight cause he's his real MVP. Yeah. Um, he passed away in 2008. I was like, sweet baby angel. Um, so like I said earlier, the only part of the plane that was found to be non-functioning by the NTSB at the time of the crash was the $12 light bulb in the indicator light housing. So they could have landed perfectly safely, but they didn't have the light to indicate to them that that was the case. Yeah. Um, and they were trying to not risk lives. And they were so focused on that one light. Um So they either missed or ignored the alarm that was sounding at Don Repo's workstation. The things, it was like, this was the first jumbo jet crash. And up until that point, it was the deadliest in American aviation history that was later blown out of the water several times over by several different incidents. But still up there. It's, I mean, triple digit fatality, not great. So (laughs) some good things did come from it. Aw, thanks, Sox nice view of your tail <laughs> and your asshole. Um, <laughs> so, um, I'm just going to leave that in. The some of the things that came out of it um, altered training programs. Pilots were trained from then on that jostling the flight controls even slightly could possibly disengage the autopilot. They also made it a little harder to dis- disengage. But not too hard because if shit's going bad, you don't want to be like leaning over the console trying to disengage it. You just grab it, the thing and go. Yeah. Um, and I think if I'm not wrong, they may have altered the alarm as well. So it's yeah. harder to ignore and you like harder to override as well. Um, and it also led to something um, called CRM, which is Crew Resource Management. It's a method of delegation and cockpit etiquette used in modern cockpits even today. Um, This is a legit textbook example of not what could go wrong when you don't use CRM. It's in their actual textbooks now. like by name and flight number. Damn. Um, Basically it's the pilot is there to delegate tasks clearly and effectively and efficiently. Because he was just kind of like, fix it. Like, what what are we doing? But except for telling Don to go to the hellhole, he really wasn't giving clear instructions who he wants to do what and how and what to do if they, like, he wasn't very clear. And he was just, he was frustrated, which is understandable. I mean, there's one point where he's like, all of this over a light bulb on this plane. Like, it was one of the most advanced in the air at the time. Yeah. And he's like, and we're worried about a light bulb it's like, yeah, dude, freaking exactly. You're worried about a light bulb. What are you doing? It's an important light bulb. Yes. But, um, so they also, a flashlight is next to every crew member seat in the cockpit now, because if he hadn't had to go back up and down, um, they would have seen and landed. They would have been able to see, right. He would have been able to be up there the first time and be like, yeah, it's down, let's go. And they would have noticed that altitude altitude had changed and, had space to get it back up, but that, yeah. So also, um, part of CRM is not to be intimidated by one crew member's mood. So if the pilots being a huge dick, (laughs) you still have the right, if you're like the co-pilot, because there was Korean airlines flight and the pilot was a huge asshole to the first officer and the the pilot was wrong, Mm. full on wrong. And because of him, that plane went down, but because of the seniority system and the cultural norms in the place at the time, the co-pilot was relatively new to the airline, much younger than the um, pilot, and the pilot had been in the Air Force and he hadn't. He'd only had... Oh, yeah. So he's like, I'm not going to stand up to him even though I know what's wrong, and they everyone died. It might have been China Airlines kind of thing, but I don't know. It was... But like a lot of people died. Another triple-digit fatality. Um, so that was another one of the ones that led to CRM being an international thing, not just an American thing, like everyone now. So it also led to the development of better technology to warn when aircraft are losing altitude, both on the ground and in the cockpit, because their traffic controller saw that they were losing altitude, but didn't effectively communicate that he would prefer it if they would double check their altitude for him against the radar. Yeah. Because you, he saw that they were at 900 feet and he was the only one at the time who knew that they had lost altitude but didn't say anything because he didn't think it was his place or his job and a shitload of people died because of it. How much therapy do you think that guy went through? I mean, I'm sure a lot, I'm sure. And it's. I know it's not fair to lay all of that on him But at the same time, if he had just said, hey, I want to make sure that this new system is working correctly, can you give me your altitude reading? Yeah. And they're like, oh shit, we're at 900 feet. Let us climb back to 2000 and we'll get back to you. There were so many opportunities for this to have been avoided and it wasn't. I think it's also the hierarchy thing, like pilots are treated. Yeah. Up until... (sighs) Bob Loft had been, even now, but Bob Loft had been with Eastern Airlines for like 30 some odd years. Yeah. And had like double-digit thousand of flight hours. This is a man who knew what the fuck he was doing. Oh, yeah. But he was so wrapped up in this one task, and so was every other member of his crew, that he lost sight of everything else around him until it was too late. Yeah. Um, So this is kind of my favorite part. Like we said before, they had used uh, parts of Flight 401 in the repairs of other Eastern Airlines fleet members. And what happened was that the planes that had used the recovered parts from 401 start reporting sightings, like full body apparitions of the crew members, especially Bob Loft and Don Rebo. Are you shitting me? I'm not making that up. Oh my God. So the airline publicly denied it, but like quietly pulled all of the parts of 401 that had been in use on the other planes and locked them away and stopped like, took them out of service even though they were still functioning properly got them blessed they were like buried them nope nope." like they said um one of the ntsb guys and i love him he's one of my favorites um this is like the same three guys who do interviews for the show and so he's like publicly it was eye-rolling denials but privately they were panicking they were like what the fuck do we do like what do we do Probably because it wasn't just passengers wasn't. No, it was like crew members. Like they showed one of the flight attendants, like a flight attendant on another Eastern Airlines flight. And she had like a thing of candy or something. I was wrong before when I said that's the last time we see the actor of Don Repo. uh, Because... They show a flight attendant on another flight, like, turning around with, like, a tray of candy or something in her hand, and she drops it because there's just Don Repo standing there smiling at her going into the cockpit. Oh, my God. No and, way. Like, they That was what the reference on Supernatural was, 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 like, what is this, freaking 401, like, the episode where they have to get on the plane, and it's, like... Um, oh, and Dean hates planes. That's yeah, funny. Dean hates planes. And he's like it's not like it's gonna be flight 401 it'll be fine and they're talking about this flight and i was like oh my god (laughs) i lost my shit um so yeah that's the story of ghost plane eastern airlines flight 401 1972 it was a different and arguably shittier time in aviation that is terrifying i do not appreciate it so Okay, one other last very quick thing that I think will lighten it up a little bit. But So they show, like, when they're talking about what the NT- the NTSB is thinking might be causes of the crash, like, they show them putting an overhead, like, you know, the overheads they used to use in school, with like, the little plastic clear sheets that they would write on, and it just has a list of, like, causes of the crash, question mark, and, like, a numbered list of what they think <laughs> that caused the thing, and they're just, like, drawing on it with dry erase markers I'm like that's not what they did oh that's so what they (laughs) did no way (laughs) well think about if you're in a room and you have to project it that's the easiest way to project it I know but like I really I seriously doubt that's how they had their meetings come on you're telling me there wasn't a chalkboard there that Mm -hmm. would have been more dynamic than an already pre-printed overhead sheet in the 70s mind you no, I think it would be what they would do because those, those overheads have been around for a while. For ages, I know. Anyway, I just thought that would make you feel a little bit better about this episode. It does. <laughs> also, the fact that Sox has decided to take over the table. I like it. He's being so needy. Okay, thank you for listening um, to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, which you're listening, so I don't know how that works, Um, but let us know. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It is the best way to spread the word. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip-off recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest your recipe or topic, you can email us at domesticpodcasts@gmail.com. I should say BuzzFeed is searching for um, podcasts that you love, and we would love it if you would promote us or any of the indie podcasts, newer podcasts that you listen to, so make sure to do that. Uh, Ashley, high five? High five.